0: Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you this morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Well, listen, uh, we're going to get into. Uh, the message here, and we're going to be in Hebrews at the beginning, then I'm going to go to the Old Testament. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be a little bit unique today because uh, I want to talk about faith and, and what you can accomplish by faith, all right? So you may have heard the scripture uh, in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, now faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for and the evidence or the assurance of things not seen, It's the trusting in something that you cannot explicitly prove. This is the cornerstone of our faith or our our belief in Jesus. If you call yourself a Jesus follower or you call yourself a Christ follower or a Christian, this is your cornerstone. It's your faith in him. And so I want to read through what chapter, not all of it, so don't worry. I'm not going to read the whole chapter of, of Hebrews 11. But I just want to give you a glimpse because this is the faith chapter, or what I'm calling the by faith chapter. So this is where it starts. It says in verse three by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And then it goes on by faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain. By faith, Enoch was uh, taken up to heaven without dying. By faith, Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him and his inheritance. By faith, Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. By faith, Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. It just continues. By faith, Joseph, Moses. By faith, uh, Israel, Rahab, Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, in fact, Scripture says that there is too many to even write down to account for by faith. All of these people throughout history, especially in this case, the Old Testament, did these great, incredible things. So this sets up really perfectly for our main text, which we find in chapter 12, and that is this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses is about all the people that we just talked about, okay? They're surrounding us. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Scripture is littered with this race metaphor, this this idea of running a race. It's littered throughout Scripture about are uh, looking at our life as a race. And I don't think it's a sprint. Sometimes I guess you are running a little bit faster, but really this is a marathon. This is a long journey of our life. So it was in 2002 that I was leading worship in, of all places, Mandeville, Louisiana, which if you don't know that area, you don't really know what that is because it's more of like a bedroom community of New Orleans. And um, somebody knows about it, Mandeville? Come on, Lake Pontchartrain? Can I hear it? No, he's like, "What, Lake Pontchartrain? Uh, so I lived there for a while, and I was leading worship for this conference. And uh, the guest, the keynote speaker, was John Maxwell. Uh, anybody have any read of his books? Twenty One Inf- in Irrefutable Law. I mean, it's a ton, a ton of, of, of leadership books. Well, he had just written this book, Running with the Giants. And so he was speaking on this book, but it hadn't come out yet. And then later, about eight or ten years later, he wrote Learning from the Giants. Well, it's this idea that the cloud of witnesses that we're referring to, all these people of the faith, these what I'm calling heroes of the faith, were in the stands of a large arena or, or, or stadium. So while you're on the track or on the court, You are surrounded by all these people, all these heroes of the faith. Now, I don't know, just by a show of hands, how many people have played in in an arena size or stadium size where you were actually on the track or on the court? By just a show of hands, great. A few of you, yeah. But you know, if you're on that track, uh, there is no possible way for you to hear an individual out of the crowd, because why? It's a roar, it's it's just a loud noise. You feel like they're cheering for you And you hope that that's the case, but a lot of times you're, you know, they're cheering for the other team. (laughs) Possible. So here's the idea. This idea is that because you can't hear all of these heroes of faith really giving you uh, their, their thoughts on wisdom and thoughts of wisdom, they all come down one by one and take a lap with you, and then you get to hear them running next to you, and then you hear their wisdom and you hear their encouragement to you, and maybe some lessons. And that's kind of the idea today. I only have time for two. I tried three. It didn't work out. So two is uh, what we have time for. And I picked out two heroes of the faith. And some of them may be ex- unexpected, just depending on, on, on your view on it. But um, that's what we're going to do today. Is that all right? Okay. Now, don't be quiet on me. Come on now. Well, the first hero that steps out is Deborah. And Deborah begins by saying this, I grew up in a tough, tough time. We were in a time of chaos and evil. In fact, Jabin was the king at the time, and he. there was many, many battles and all that. They had lost most of them, if not all of them, and it was treacherous. There was oppression over the land. The people of Israel had turned from God. And his blessing had lifted from them. They had forgotten about about what what God had done for them in moving them into the promised land. They had forgotten about Moses and Joshua because they had already passed. And because of this, they began to worship other gods. You see, Deborah was not only a prophet, but she was also a judge. In fact, she was tasked with handling matters of justice. And that was something, something just It was unheard of for the time because only men had done that position. Not only that, but instead of speaking to other prophets through an angel, God spoke to Deborah directly. Now that there's a good pace going and you're kind of shimmying on down the track, Deborah leans over to you and says, Expect the unexpected. I don't know about you, I have a guilty pleasure, and that is reality TV. Not all reality TV. There's very specific shows that I will not watch, and then there's other ones that I have just grown up with and I love. Two of those are Survivor and Big Brother. Any, any Big Brother Survivor fans? Man, I tried this first service, literally got two hands. I'm like, man, okay, I'm either I'm old or it's just not a very popular show. However, Big Brother, there is a big slogan in that show Um, That is the most common, and that is expect the unexpected. You probably just read it, didn't really know it was. Yeah, I get it. I helped you out right here. The idea that twists and turns are coming your way, that you think that you have this all in the bag, but all of a sudden we're gonna throw a wrench in this, and then you gotta figure your, your way out. So Deborah says, expect the unexpected. So let's read a little bit about Deborah's story here and let's read what happened here. Verse four, Deborah was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak. Barak is the military commander for Israel. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. That's why I highlighted that. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Again, we'll come back to that. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Jump into verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. You see, several verses later, after this happens, it talks about Sisera running from all of the devastation. There was no one on his side left. So he finds this uh, village, and this woman kind of recognizes who this uh, commander is of Javen's army because she's, you know, they've been oppressed for so long. Of course, they know who that is. Her name is Jael and she motions for Sisera to come over and he's thinking, well, she's going to hide me and everything is going to good. So he runs in the tent, finds some blankets, covers up and then tells her, listen, if somebody comes asking, you're the only one here. Well, he's comfortable. He's all good. Moments later, he falls asleep because he's just comfortable. JL takes a tent peg and a hammer and kills Sisera. I don't know about you and what your how you read in your devotion time with the Bible, but if you kind of just jump past that point that she takes a tent peg and a hammer and it doesn't cause some kind of reaction from you. I'm not quite sure what you're reading because Hollywood has nothing on the action and the adventure of the Bible. Amen? It's crazy. Now, I can't even tell you where she, I mean, it it goes into detail about where she put the peg to kill him. I'll spare you that. You see, Deborah prophesied to uh, Barak that he was not going to get the honor because Jael is the one that killed Sisera. Of course, they ultimately had the victory, and finally that that 20-year oppression that they were experiencing was finally lifted. So now that you know a little bit of the story of Deborah, what is the unexpected part that she's referring to? And Deborah says this, It was unexpected that I was selected to be a judge of Israel. She was the only female judge and prophet, and the only woman described in performing any Judicial function. And she says this just because it has never been doesn't mean that it'll never be. Just because she has n- had never seen any previous female judges doesn't mean that Deborah couldn't do it. Cultural norms in that day, Deborah should have never held that office at all. But God can use anyone that He chooses it doesn't matter there's no prerequisite okay if you allow him to you, you you will be surprised at just how far god takes you and many times we have allowed our own limitations that we put on ourselves or limitations of others and what they said about us to to determine what god is going to do in our life And it takes, sometimes it just doesn't make any sense at all, but with God, anything is possible. Just because it's never been doesn't mean that it'll never be. And she goes on. It was unexpected that God spoke directly to me. You see, other judges like like Gideon and Samson mentioned, God used angels to speak to them. But God spoke to Deborah directly. And God can speak to you. I guarantee you, some of you right here, sitting here, some of you watching, God has been speaking to you. He's already given you the direction. He's already made the way, and he's already shown you a solution, probably many. <laughs> but you're still waiting for that confirmation, aren't you? You're still hesitant to leave the comfort of, your, of that position that, you're, that you have. You're still unwilling to make that change. You are still waiting on that angel to come speak to you. When God says, I don't need that, I can speak to you directly. So my question for you today is, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? Finally, she says, it was unexpected because I was not a warrior. Yet, I went into battle. You see, the Israelites had tried many, many times to defeat Jabin's army, many times. And we're unsuccessful at every turn. And if you remember, Barak said, I'll do it. I'll go into battle with you, or I will go into battle, but you have to go with me. So I really don't know why he said that. I, I'm not quite sure, but my, I surmise that he said that because, well, we've tried this unsuccessfully for so many years. If, I'm, if you're telling me I have to go into battle, you're going with me because if I die, you're out too. Deborah was not a warrior like so many before her. She held this highest, she was a judge. She didn't know what to do in battle. And so sometimes we have to go unexpectedly into a situation where we are completely out of our depth. We we haven't trained for it. We don't have enough information. We are are uneducated. We don't have the the right credentials, right? We don't have the, the GPA that Wayne was talking about. We don't have enough talent, and yet God has called us. And some, some of the time we look at those limitations and we say, oh, well, that's me. Well, I don't, I don't have the right letters behind my name. I don't have any of that stuff. I haven't had the right opportunities in life. And then we rest on those instead of resting on what God said and what God has said and called us to. So you may not be feel qualified even right now, but we have to put our trust in him Because he knows the outcome. God knew the outcome of that battle. Deborah didn't. She only did what God commanded. And yet God gave him the victory. Deborah says, expect the unexpected, the same God that used me to free the Israelites. He can use you too. Amen. All right, that lap is finished. Somebody else is coming up on the track and it's Isaiah. So we're going to look at Isaiah, a little bit of Isaiah's story. So Isaiah, like Deborah, is a prophet. Prophets simply see. In fact, the word prophet can be translated seer. And Isaiah saw Jesus and his crucifixion 800 years before his birth. Isaiah was known as the Prince of Prophets, and he was also had one of the larger books in the Bible which with 66 chapters. So as Isaiah catches up and he walks beside you, he whispers, God wants you to have an encounter with him. Then he says, one encounter, one encounter can change everything. One encounter can change everything. So let's start with this scripture in Isaiah. He says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way, walk in it. No matter how far you've run off the track, I know this is metaphorical, but no matter how far you've run away to get away from whatever it is that you feel like is pressing down on you, Isaiah said, You will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. You know, a lot of us pastors, when we meet uh, people from time to time for, whatever. People just need encouragement. They need counsel, uh, especially when it comes to spiritual growth. They need prayer, whatever that looks like. Many times people come in, this is way past the point at which something had, had occurred, where they, they, they felt the, the, the weight of, of, of whatever it is that they're walking through. And between the time that we've seen them and the time that that happened, there's been a long, long time of running. Instead of running to God There's been a running away from God. And I hear Jesus saying, and the voice of God saying, listen, there's a better way. First of all, my hands are wide open. You are unconditionally loved by me. Walk this way. I'm right here. I'm right here. You may be listening and you're mad at God because you think he let you down. You feel hurt that he allowed this horrible thing to happen to you. You're frustrated because the door to that opportunity was shut. For years, you've been running away from the call on your life. Jesus will never force you to do anything, but he will be there with that gentle voice saying, this is the way, walk here, walk here. So Isaiah continues to keep up with you and looks over and says, our greatest pain can be our greatest gain. See, unlike Deborah, Isaiah's uncle, King Uzziah, was loved by all and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Almost <laughs> At least he did uh, two-thirds of his reign, the last third, not so much. See, the people loved him, but he had a pride problem. He had a sin problem. And in the, the last part of his life, he died with disease and all alone. And Isaiah, his nephew. Was walking through this grief and this pain. Most of the people were uncertain. Where are we going? What's gonna happen next? If you know anything about Israel's history, it was up and down, up and down. They 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 sought after God, they did what was right inside of God, then they, they didn't. They sinned and they fell short, and then God had to, you know, do some things to correct, correct what Israel was doing. But this is one of those situations where King the King Uzziah started well but ended poorly. And Isaiah was walking through this, and this is the context in which Isaiah writes this In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. One of Isaiah's darkest points, he writes this I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim or, or angels. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. That was the glory of the Lord. Is there not another one? Thank you, Ryan, sorry. Isaiah in his grief saw the Lord. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought to yourself, if everything went my way, If nothing bad happened to me and everything was what I still believe in a faithful God, if everything went like you wanted it to go, do you believe or do you think that you would still have belief in Jesus? Of course, it's impossible to go through this life without having experienced any hurt, right? I mean, it's impossible. But during all these painful times, we need to lean on the promises of God. He uses those those, that loss, that pain, that failure to grow us and to develop us so that we can see Him. All of His goodness, all of His grace, and all of His mercy. But here's what Isaiah cautions us. He leans over and says, When we see God, we see ourselves. When we see God, we see ourselves. So look, let's look at rea- uh, Isaiah's reaction here after he sees the Lord. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah humbles himself before God. He sees the purity and the goodness and the kindness of of a living God and immediately causes him to see himself, his sinfulness, his messed up life, the things that that he sees in himself that he dislikes, the thoughts that he has. When we encounter God, we can't help but want to be clean and pure before him. But how do we get clean? Well, Isaiah answers that too. Verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. We'll come back to that. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, when this was written in the Old Testament, altars were made and were, uh, and were made for animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. That's how you received ato- your uh, atonement. But when Jesus comes on the scene in the new covenant, the cross becomes our altar. And Jesus is now his shed blood is the atonement. You know, during communion, we took the cup, which represented the shed blood of of Jesus, right? That is it. He already gave it all for us. That is how we are atoned. That is how we are made clean. That is how we're purified. It is through the blood of Jesus. I don't know, but I want to be clean. I want to be clean and pure. When we encounter God, I was in worship today, and I just, when we're singing uh, through some of those verses, I said, God, that's what I want. I want to, to worship you. I see what you've done on the cross. I, I remember hearing and, and seeing the, 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 the shed blood that you have through scripture that you did for me. And I want to be clean and pure in your sight. We're about to finish the lap, and Isaiah hears, uh, shares his last thought. He says this, when we encounter God, we are moved to be on mission. It's not just, it's not just that we are changed, but there's something that happens also that moves us into being closer to God. Let's read this right here. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, Here I am Sin me. Now see, don't miss this. Isaiah didn't just leave that encounter with good feelings and, oh God, I saw you. And okay, thank you for this clean. He says, I can't stop there. It's now I got to move. There's something that happens when we see God working in our life. We can't just stay there and stagnant. It's not just we receive and that's it. There is something that happens that causes us to be moved to be on mission and serve in what God is doing. He's calling us to something to do something, to fulfill something. Amen? Another thing is God did not force Isaiah to do anything. He asks him, Whom shall I send? And it was Isaiah's choice to say, It's me. Send me. When we are changed, we can't help but to serve and get involved with what God is doing. One encounter with Him, one encounter will change everything. So visualize this. We are running in this massive stadium. This massive stadium. Not only do we have the heroes of the Old Testament, now we have the heroes of the New Testament and those throughout history who have run their race well. We have friends and family who are cheering us on and saying, by faith, by faith, you can do this. They are calling out your name. They are cheering you on in this race of life and on this journey of life. And the Apostle Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith. Guys, I want nothing more than to finish this race strong. I want nothing more than when it's my time that God looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant, by faith. So I don't know where you find the state of your soul. That kind of statement is heavy, isn't it? (laughs) Not your heart, your soul. That's something that just, you know that that is deep inside you. What is the state of your soul? Where are you at? What is it that, is, that you have not, what limitation have you put on yourself that has not allowed God to completely change you, but also fulfill what he has called you to do? What's the thing that happened that you were like, that is what your mind goes to, and that's what's blocked off. You said, God, I've given you it all, This is everything you have access to me except for this. This is no touchy. You've hurt me there, so you can't have this, but you can have all this other stuff. But I believe that this thing is the thing that's holding you back. This is the thing that is causing you not to be completely fulfilled and, and have joy in the Lord. Being a follower of Jesus is risky. You guys, it's dangerous. It's adventurous. We have it. We live it in the West. We just have it. We don't have some of the pains and the strains that other people in the world do. For most of us, we have a good life. And the problem with that is when we are not struggling on a regular basis to put food in our bellies and to, 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 to make ends meet and to pay the bills and all that, we start filling in this thing with all of our accolades and what we can do and we forget to have that encounter with God that will change us for good and to be on mission. Go ahead and stand on your feet I'm going to speak to you today who have put God in a box I want to speak to you today who have put limitations either on others or on yourself, or others have put limitations on you and you've received them. One encounter with God will stretch you, he will challenge you, and he will change you. Father, thank you that we are we are in a place of decision. You won't force us to do anything. In fact, God, you say. It's our choice. We have free will. We can choose to accept it or we can choose to go a different direction. And so Father, I pray for those who have put limits on you, who've put limits on themselves, who can't get past the hurt that happened, the door that closed, the healing that is still being waited on talking to the person that's impatient, talking to the person who is struggling with uh, love for themselves, love for God, love for others. I am praying for you who are right now have just completely forgotten the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Father, thank you that you deliver us and that you free us. And those things that can come, that we're trying to expect, God, you have you work in the unexpected. You work in the areas of our life that we just couldn't prepare, that we're not trained for, that we're not qualified for. So right now, for all those who are unqualified, God, I pray that you speak. And we allow this space right now, God, for your voice to be heard the loudest. Speak, Holy Spirit, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk here. In Jesus' name, amen.